Section seven of the Gloved Hand by Burton E. Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter seven. The tragedy. The wall was masked on the other side by a dense growth of shrubbery, and struggling through this I found myself on the gravelled path where I had seen Marjorie Vaughan. Before me, along this path, sped a shadow which I knew to be Godfrey, and I followed at top speed. At the end of a moment I caught a flash of light among the trees, and knew that we were nearing the house, but I saw no sign of Swain. We came to the stretch of open lawn, crossed it, and, guided by the light, found ourselves at the end of a short avenue of trees. At the other end a stream of light poured from an open door, and against that light a running figure was silhouetted. Even as I saw it, it bounded through the open door and vanished. "'It's Swain!' gasped Godfrey, and then we too were at that open door. For an instant I thought the room was empty. Then from behind the table in the centre a demoniac blood-stained figure rose into view, holding in its arms a white-robed woman. With a sort of nervous shock I saw that the man was Swain, and the woman Marjorie Vaughan. A thrill of fear ran through me as I saw how her head fell backwards against his shoulder how her arms hung limp without so much as a glance in our direction he laid her gently on a couch fell to his knees beside it and began to chafe her wrists it was godfrey who mastered himself first and who stepped forward to swain's side is she dead he asked swain shook his head impatiently without looking up how is she hurt godfrey persisted bending closer above the unconscious girl swain shot him one red glance she is not hurt he said hoarsely she has fainted that's all go away but godfrey did not go away after one burning look at swain's lowering face he bent again above the still figure on the couch and touched his fingers to the temples what he saw or felt seemed to reassure him for his voice was more composed when he spoke again i think you're right swain he said what we'd better call someone call away snarled swain you mean there's no one here surely her father he stopped for at the words swain had burst into a hoarse laugh her father he cried oh yes he's here call him he's over there he made a wild gesture toward a high-backed easy-chair beside the table his eyes gleaming with an almost fiendish excitement then the gleam faded and he turned back to the girl godfrey cast one astonished glance at him and strode to the chair i saw his face quiver with sudden horror i saw him catch at the table for support and for an instant he stood staring down then he turned stiffly toward me and motioned me to approach in the chair a man sat huddled forward a gray-haired man clad in a white robe his hands were gripping the chair arms as though in agony his head hung down almost upon his knees silently godfrey reached down and raised the head and a cry of horror burst from both of us the face was purple with congested blood the tongue swollen and horribly protruding the eyes suffused and starting from their sockets and then at a motion from godfrey's finger i saw that about the neck a cord was tightly knotted the man had been strangled godfrey after a breathless moment in which he made sure that the man was quite dead let the head fall forward again it turned me sick to see how low it sagged how limp it hung and i saw that the collar of the white robe was spotted with blood I do not know what was in Godfrey's mind, but by a common impulse we turned and looked at Swain. He was still on his knees beside the couch. Apparently he had forgotten our presence. "'It's plain enough,' said Godfrey, his voice thick with emotion. "'She came in and found the body. No wonder she screamed like that. But where are the servants? Where is everybody?' The same thought was in my own mind. 
the utter silence of the house the fact that no one came added somehow to the horror of the moment those wild screams must have echoed from cellar to garret and yet no one came godfrey made a rapid scrutiny of the room which was evidently the library with a double door opening upon the grounds and another opposite opening into the hall on the wall beside the inner door he found an electric button and he pushed it for some moments but there was no response if it rang a bell the bell was so far away that we could not hear it a heavy curtain hung across the doorway godfrey pulled it aside and peered into the hall beyond the hall was dark and silent with face decidedly grim he took his torch from one pocket and his pistol from another come along lester he said we've got to look into this have your torch ready and your pistol god knows what further horrors this house contains he pulled back the curtain so that the hall was lighted to some extent from the open doorway and then passed through i after him the hall was a broad one running right through the centre of the house from front to rear godfrey proceeded cautiously and yet rapidly the whole length of it flashing his torch into every room they were all luxuriously furnished but were empty of human occupants from the kitchen which closed the hall at the rear a flight of stone steps led down into the basement and godfrey descended these with a steadiness i could not but admire we found ourselves in a square stone flagged room evidently used as a laundry two doors opened out of it but both were secured with heavy padlocks storerooms or wine cellars perhaps godfrey ventured mounted the stairs again to the kitchen and returned to the room whence we had started everything there was as we had left it the dead man sat huddled forward in his chair swain was still on his knees beside the couch the girl had not stirred godfrey went to the side of the couch and disregarding swain's fierce glance again placed his fingers lightly on the girl's left temple then he came back to me if she doesn't revive pretty soon he said we'll have to try heroic measures but there must be somebody in the house let's look upstairs he led the way up the broad stairs which rose midway of the hall sending a long ray of light ahead of him i followed in no very happy frame of mind for i confess that this midnight exploration of an unknown house with a murdered man for its only occupant was getting on my nerves but godfrey proceeded calmly and systematically the hall above corresponded to that below with two doors on each side opening into bedroom suites the first was probably that of the master of the house it consisted of bedroom bath and dressing-room but there was no one there the next was evidently miss vaughan's it also had a bath and a daintily furnished boudoir but these two were empty then as we opened the door across the hall a strange odour saluted us an odour suggestive somehow of the east which in the first moment caught the breath from the throat and in the second seemed to muffle and retard the beating of the heart a flash of godfrey's torch showed that we were in a little entry closed at the farther end by a heavy drapery godfrey strode forward and swept the drapery aside the rush of perfume was overpowering and through the opening came a soft glow of light it was a moment before i got my breath then a mist seemed to fall from before my eyes and a strange sense of exaltation and well-being stole through me i saw godfrey standing motionless transfixed with one hand holding back the drapery and his torch hanging unused in the other and i crept forward and peered over his shoulder at the strangest scene i have ever gazed upon just in front of us poised in the air some three feet from the floor hung a sphere of crystal glowing with a soft radiance which seemed to wax and wane to quiver almost to darkness and then to burn more clearly it was like a dreamer's pulse 
fluttering pausing leaping in accord with his vision and as i gazed at the sphere i fancied i could see within it strange elusive shapes which changed and merged and faded from moment to moment and yet grew always clearer and more suggestive i bent forward straining my eyes to see them better to fathom their meaning godfrey turning to speak to me saw my attitude and shook me roughly by the arm don't do that lester he growled in my ear take your eyes off that crystal i tried to move my eyes but could not until godfrey pulled me around to face him i stood blinking at him stupidly i was nearly gone myself before i realized the danger he said a sphere like that can hypnotize a man more quickly than anything else on earth especially when his resistance is lessened as it is by this heavy perfume it was rather pleasant i said i should like to try it sometime well you can't try it now you've got something else to do besides it has two victims already two victims look carefully but keep your eyes off the sphere he said and swung me around toward the room again the room was shrouded in impenetrable darkness except for the faint and quivering radiance which the sphere emitted and as i plunged my eyes into its depths in an effort to see what lay there it seemed to me that i had never seen blackness so black as i stared into it with straining eyes a vague form grew dimly visible beside the glowing sphere and then i recoiled a little for suddenly it took shape and i saw it was a man i had a queer fancy as i stood there that it was really a picture into which i was gazing one of rembrandt's for gradually one detail after another emerged from the darkness vague shadows took on shape and meaning but farther back there was always more shadow and farther back still more the man was sitting cross-legged on a low divan his hands crossed in front of him and hanging limply between his knees his clothing i could see but vaguely for it was merged into the darkness about him but his hands stood out white against it he was staring straight at the crystal with unwavering and unwinking gaze and sat as motionless as though carved in stone the glow from the sphere picked out his profile with a line of light i could see the high forehead the strong curved nose the full lips shaded by a faint moustache and the long chin only partially concealed by a close clipped beard it was a wonderful and compelling face especially as i then saw it and i gazed at it for a long moment it's the adept i suppose said godfrey no longer taking care to lower his voice it sounded unnaturally loud in the absolute stillness of the room and i looked at the adept quickly but he had not moved can't he hear you i asked no he couldn't hear a clap of thunder that is unless he's faking i looked again at the impassive figure he's not faking i said i don't know said godfrey and shook his head skeptically it looks like the real thing but these fellows are mighty clever do you see the other victim there's no fake about it i see no one else i said after a vain scrutiny look carefully on the other side of the sphere don't you see something there my eyes were smarting under the strain and for a moment longer i saw nothing then a strange gray shape detached itself from the blackness it was an ugly and repulsive shape slender below but swelling hideously at the top and as i stared at it it seemed to me that it returned my stare with malignant eyes screened by a pair of white-rimmed glasses then with a sensation of dizziness i saw that the shape was swaying gently back and forth in a sort of rhythm and then quite suddenly i saw what it was and a chill of horror quivered up my back it was a cobra to and fro it swung to and fro its staring eyes fixed upon the sphere its spectacled hood hideously distended 
the very soul within me trembled as i gazed at those unwinking eyes what did they see in the sphere what was passing in that inscrutable brain could it too reconstruct the past read the mysteries of the future some awful power greater than my will seemed stretching its tentacles from the darkness i felt them dragging at me certain remorseless growing stronger and stronger with something very like a shriek of terror i tore myself away out of the entry into the hall to the stairs and down them into the lighted room below and as i stood there gasping for breath godfrey followed me and i saw that his face too was livid end of chapter seven read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com